Our scripture reading this morning comes from 1 Samuel chapter 18. Uh, If you uh, have the Bible from the back of the pew in front of you, that is page 226. So again, 1 Samuel chapter 18, starting at verse 1. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him to return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people, and also in the sight of Saul's servants. As they were returning home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing, to meet King Saul, with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him. He said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand, And he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Susie. Good morning, church. Can you guys hear me okay this morning? Is my mic on? I don't want to be like Pastor Mike. I know that he's not here, but... You know how it goes, right? (laughs) Don't tell him I said that. Okay, so uh, let me see here. Let me set up. Awesome. There we go. Uh, All right, well, welcome to church. I just want to start by saying that I'm so glad that you are here this morning. As you probably know, uh, we have been going through the series on the seven deadly sins. And I don't know about you, but me personally, I'm just going to be honest, I've, I, this past six weeks, I felt like I, ha, I have been in like a boxing match where I just kept getting punch after punch after punch from the Holy Spirit, bringing conviction, just because as we tackle all the deadly sins, I realize, if I can be honest with you, I am more sinful than I thought I was. Anybody there this morning? Yeah? Can you relate? I think that if we're honest, we can acknowledge that, that we're more sinful than we think we are. But you know why that's a good thing, that we acknowledge that? Because when we acknowledge our sinfulness, we make a big deal of our sin, we can make a bigger deal of the gospel, right? It becomes good news for us. 
So today I get to uh, close on our series of the de- uh, seven deadly sins. And uh, I just want to start by saying uh, our, our framing idea. I know that everybody has said that before with uh, um, Chris when, when he opened up the series for us, Pastor Mike, even Ken. Uh, and, and the framing idea for us this morning is, th- is this, that God is our Father and God loves us so much that he wants to protect us against anything that can cause us uh, hurt and anything that can kill us. He wants to protect us from anything that will disrupt our relationship with him and disrupt our relationship with one another. So uh, if we're able to see this through the lens of the gospel this morning, then we'll be able to understand that we know this truth. God made us alive. At some point, we were dead in our sin, but God made us alive together with Christ. That means that we have been redeemed. That means that we have been brought near, brought into the kingdom. We belong to God's family. And if we're in the kingdom, and because we're in the kingdom, that means that we are called to live as kingdom people. So, I want to tell you this this morning. I get to tackle envy. And envy has no place in God's kingdom. And if we're kingdom people, then envy has no place in our hearts. So, I just would like to remind you of the words that, that Ken shared with us uh, two weeks ago, I think three weeks ago. Uh, and he said this, that the reason why we address the seven deadly sins is not to exalt or to glorify sin, but rather is to expose it, to, to make much of it and become aware of it, so that then we can see our sin in its destructive abilities. When we get to do that, then we get to glorify the gospel. We get to make much of the gospel and what the gospel does in overcoming and helping us overcome our sin. So before we dive in into the message, I just I want to invite you to pray with me this morning. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come with humble hearts this morning, recognizing that we are more sinful than we think we are. But it, because of the gospel, we recognize that we are more loved than we can ever imagine. Father, I want to pray that your spirit would move in us this morning, that you would bring conviction uh, to our hearts that would lead us into confessing our sins into repentance so that we may find assurance of pardon. Father, I just pray that your name would be glorified and that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive what you have prepared for us this morning. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, just want to start by saying, as I was preparing for this, for this sermon, Envy, uh, I, I realized a couple of things that I want to share with you. I realized that envy tends to be one of the less visible sins than others. If we compare the other sins, most of them you can see like an outward expression of them. But, but, but envy is more like hidden sometimes, most of the time. A lot of the, uh, a lot of the uh, theologians that I was, the work that I was reading from them, they would agree on this, and they would say that envy is actually, if not one of, but if not the most miserable sin of all of them. And, and that striked me. I realized that uh, the reason why they would say that it's the most miserable sin is because, if we are honest, we can see how it is so rooted in our fallen human condition. We can even trace this back to uh, Genesis, right? If we go to the example with Cain and Abel, we all know the story and how it goes. This is the first example with Cain and Abel. We see what envy made um, Cain do, kill his own brother. 
But we can even trace it further back to Genesis 3 with Adam and Eve and the story in the Garden of Eden, the fall. Um, Here we have the serpent that tricks them into believing that, you know what? Yes, you are in the paradise or you are in paradise. Look, everything's beautiful. Everything's perfect. But you're not God. Can you, can you start to see how destructive envy is? We can, I, I would like to even trace it back because in, in Genesis 3, we see that the serpent is tricking Adam and Eve. But before the serpent was the serpent, we know that the serpent was Lucifer, right? The serpent was Lucifer. Lucifer was an angel, an angel that rebelled against God. Why? Because he wanted all the honor and all the glory that only belong to God. Can you see how even theologians would say that envy is so, uh, it's, it goes hand in hand with pride. They're, they're up there as like the, the root of all sin. And so for us uh, today, I, I want us to consider what do we make of, of envy, right? Like what, what is envy and, and how does the Bible show us how envy is anti-kingdom, anti-gospel? I want to start by just, by just saying this. Um, I want us to see envy as the desire of wanting somebody else's life. Because typically for us, like, we, we get to see what somebody else has, and we get to see that it's better, that, that what they have is better than what we have. And instead of rejoicing over their good, we end up weeping because we don't have the very same thing that they have. Thomas Aquinas says this. He says that, Envy is sorrow for another's good. You know what? I, 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 I want to share this with you. We, we live in a, a culture now where social media, we're all about social media. We all have access to social media, whether if it's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I mean, I don't even know how many are out there, to be honest now. I lost uh, count. But we all have access to social media, and we are so consumed by envy and a lot of the times, we don't even know it uh, because social media has given us the ability to look at another's, uh, another person's lives. And not, and not only that, but uh, when we get to look at their, their life, we begin to um, see their posts, their pictures, their statuses, the comments, right? We get to see, um, you know, my friend just got a promotion, a new job, and I'm stuck in my old one. Or my friend just got in a relationship and I'm still married or single. Or my friend's about to get married. Uh, or my friend's about to get married and here I am dating this person and, and we're not getting married. If I am honest, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna confess this to you guys. Um, this season, for whatever reason, this year I've had a many friends that uh, started their family, that they started to have babies. And, and believe me, I rejoice over that and I'm so happy for them. But being honest, I, that caused me to struggle a little bit. Um, I realized that, you know, I was so blinded by even my own envy and, and how it was producing that in my heart because I'm like, well, how come, how come we're not there? How come my wife and I are not there yet, right? Like, like how come we can't have babies yet? Like, what, what is going on? And so even, even that, like, things that we don't even realize, um, that, that envy begins to happen. And, and I want to address that because um, due to social media, I, I believe that um, we have been conditioned and we have been now become a part of a culture of slavery. We have become enslaved to envy. And so uh, 
I want to I wanna warn you this morning that there are terrible consequences that come with the destructive power of envy. And if we're not careful, this is, this is, I, I want us to get this this morning. If we're not care, careful, in, in, I don't, I don't, my goal is not to help you handle your envy or help you control your envy. Uh, the goal is to mortify it. The goal is to kill it. Because if we don't kill envy, friends, our sin then, envy, will kill us. And so I want to dive into the life of Saul in the passage that we read earlier, uh, just to unpack that a little bit more so that we can see what happens when uh, a person is consumed by envy. So the context of the, the passage, what, what is happening in our story? We get to see that at this point, uh, we're, we're diving into uh, uh, what happened after David defeated Goliath. And we all know how the story goes, right? David defeats Goliath. Uh, to put it in context, if you remember, uh, the Philistines, uh, especially Goliath, would go against the Israelites and, and would challenge them into battle, right? And they would say, Goliath would say to the Philistines, hey, you come over here. Let me challenge you. If you defeat me and you kill me, then we will become your servants. But if I defeat you and kill you, then you all will become our servants, meaning slaves, so for 40 days, they, they, they did that. They challenged them to battle. And they mocked them. And here we see then David steps to the plate, and we know how the story goes. David defeats Goliath. And in the story now, we see how they return home, and we get to see what takes place. Um, this is what we get to, to, to read in our passage. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistines, the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. And they said this, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul, I, David, from that day on, the next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre. And he did that day by day. Saul and his spear, Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, and for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. So what, what, I want us to see how this story helps us to see envy, to see what envy looks like and how destructive it is. So this morning for us, I want to take a look at envy from three different angles. I want to take a, a look at envy from the composition of envy. I want to look at envy from the consequences of envy and then the counteract to envy. Uh, the big idea that I want to communicate for us this morning is that the destructive power of envy will kill us unless we hold fast to the gospel and rely on the Holy Spirit's empowerment to overcome our sin. So the first part, let, let's begin to, to, to look at composition of envy. One of the things that I think would be helpful for us to do this morning is to compare envy with a plant. If we notice... 
the plant has three main parts. Uh, we see the root. When the root normally, uh, the growth happens underneath. And we can't really see what is going on because it's so hidden underneath the surface. The second part would be the stem, which acts as the vehicle that facilitates the growth for the plant. And then thirdly, uh, we have the flower, and the flower produces the fruit. So, in verse 8 and 9, as we read, it says this, And Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. He said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul, I, David, from that day on. Here we see Saul, and he shows us what the life cycle of envy actually looks like. And we begin with comparison. That is the first stage right there. Uh, Comparison in the story, we see how now Saul begins to compare himself with David. This uh, is typically how comparison plays out. You, You see what others have, and then you connect that to what you have. And then uh, you end up comparing what the other person has with what you have. That's comparison. Excuse me, comparison. And like the root of a plant, comparison is so hidden underneath the surface. Sadly, we don't even know. Uh, Sometimes we can't even tell when we're comparing ourselves to others. We tend to compare our jobs, our finances, our resources, our education, maybe our spouses, maybe our children. All the things that we hold to be valuable, we get to compare with others. And the problem is that this is so hidden. So if we, if we see this, then we get to see comparison as the root, because comparison is the foundation of envy. So let's, let's clarify something here. Um, Unfortunately, with envy, uh, the problem is that, yes, there's comparison, but envy typically never stops at comparison. You don't stop there. That's just the first stage. Then that takes you to the second, which is desire. When uh, for desire, we get to read here, verse 9, it says this, And saw I, David, from that day on let me ask you this. What do you, what do you think that means? I think that I, I was looking at different translations for, for this passage, um, and I found that the New Living Translation did a good job in unpacking it a little bit more for us because it says this, from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. So we get to see that Dave, or Saul uh, began to desire David's life. In verse 8, we read that Saul was complaining about the praises that David was receiving. And now in verse 9, we see how comparison moved to desire. uh, Because Saul now began to desire what David had. If we're honest this morning, every single one of us that are here in this room, we have the very same problem. We don't stop at comparison. We often desire the life of others, even if we don't realize it. We desire, especially with social media, we get to desire their looks, right? Their success, their popularity. We get to desire to have the very same things that they have because most of the time we think that that's what's going to make us happy. That's what's going to make us content. That's what's going to make us, or that's what's going to bring joy to our hearts. 
So like the stem of, in a plan, like the stem in a plan, uh, desire is rooted in comparison and is the vehicle that is used in order to facilitate and nurture the growth of envy. Let me ask you this. Um, have you ever noticed that the moment when you begin to compare yourself to others, you begin to uh, feel unsatisfied? Like, like there's this hole in your heart that, like, it, it doesn't matter what achievements you do, the other person has it better, and therefore you're not satisfied. You don't have joy anymore. You feel this sense of emptiness. The next step I want to look here is uh, bitterness. This is the third part. With bitterness at this point, you begin to understand that it is no longer about what the other person has. It is more about who they are. You begin to um, become bitter towards the other person. You begin to resent them because you believe that the life that they have, they don't deserve and the life that they have, you do deserve. You begin to justify these things in your mind, saying, well, I, I deserve that. I have worked harder than them, in our context, maybe. I go to church more often than them. I read my Bible more than them. I am more righteous. I am more moral than them. I deserve to have what they have. Verse 10 and 11 says this, The next day a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Now this makes us unpack the second angle of envy, or the second point, I should say, the consequences of envy, right? What happens now? We need to remember this. We need to remember that God created us in his image. What that means is that we have innate worth and value and dignity, and we have a very important role to play in God's story. That, that means that we are the representatives of God. That means that the role that I play in God's story, you cannot play my role. I cannot play your role. We have a unique role to play in God's story. So, as faithful agents of God's kingdom, we are called to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. But also, that's the first commitment. The second is to love your neighbor. What do we get to see in the passage that we just read? We get to see that Saul now became bitter and resentful towards David. Envy makes you twist God's commandment to love your neighbor. And this is what it looks like. Let, let me, let me, ref, let me uh, frame this a little more clear. Uh, when I talk about love your neighbor, I, I want to use 1 Corinthians 13 to give us an idea um, of what that looks like. Because it says that love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. You see, with love, we're called to weep with those who weep. And we rejoice with those who rejoice. Envy makes us rejoice over those who weep 
and weep over those who rejoice. Can you start to see how twisted things get from love to envy? Our heartbreaking reality, friends, this morning is this. We live in a society where uh, uh, envy has poisoned us and has infested us, that we have gotten so used to it, and a lot of the times we say, you know, envy, maybe it's not even that big of a deal. Maybe it's not that bad that I'm envious. You know, I, I had a conversation with one of my friends who's going through a counseling, uh, and master, counseling and mental health master's program to become a counselor. We were chatting about this, like, like what, if you are in a session with a, uh, with a patient and, and they come and they're struggling with envy, like how do you even address that? Where do you even begin? And so I, I, I just thought it was fascinating how some people actually make the argument to say, well, Envy is actually, you can turn it into a positive. Like, envy can actually be something good for you. Because when you envy other, another person, then you get into this, like, I'm going to work harder because I want that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get out of bed earlier, and I'm going to do all these things. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get better. I'm going to better myself so that I can have those very things. So they would argue, yeah, you can make envy into a positive. And if you do, then envy is not that big of a deal. It's okay to be envious. There's actually even uh, literature uh, out there that talks about this. They call it benign envy and malicious envy. And, and they, they describe it like this. They say, the distinction between the two forms of envy is reflected in motivational, emotional, cognitive, and personality functioning. If the unfavorable social comparison ignites the achievement, achievement motive coupled with hope for success and a sense of personal control, the resulting emotion is benign envy. By contrast, if this motive is coupled with the fear of failure and the perception of others' advantage as undeserved, the resulting emotion is malicious envy. So, basically, as long as you can turn your envy into a positive, then you're in good shape. Envy is not that big of a deal. But you want to know something, if we're honest? Um, I think that that's how we see envy most of the time. And, um, and I, I want us to realize that envy is actually a way, way bigger deal than that. In fact, if, if I can share this with you, I think that there are two things that I, I learned from preparing for this sermon. I realized that, number one, um, I am a lot more uh, envious. I struggle with envy a lot more than I thought I did. I thought I was better than I am, and I, I am not. And then the second, I realized that by looking at the example of Saul, envy is actually a way bigger deal than we think it is. Because I, I want to get a little bit practical to see what we see in the life of Saul in the text. We get to see this, that envy destroyed his character. If we're talking about the consequence of envy, we get to see that envy destroyed Saul's character. Because rather than displaying the image of God, he displayed what it looks like to be consumed with envious desires. Another thing that we get to see is envy robbed his joy. I mean, just, just think of the story. I mean, they just defeated the Philistines. We talked about the fact that if they lost, they would have been their slaves, but they're not. They had a reason to celebrate, right? They had victory. However, that's not what they, or Saul did. He wasn't rejoicing in that. He was actually bitter towards David. So let me put a pause right there, and let me ask you this. 
Have you ever noticed that uh, pattern in your life? When there's reason to celebrate, but because you see that somebody else has it better or did it differently than you and it looks better than everything that you accomplished is gone? Like, you feel unsatisfied? There's no joy? Have you noticed how envy can distort your character? Have you noticed how it robs your joy? Augustine says this. So, how do... How, did us, how does one know if he's harboring envy in one's heart? If when a person is praised or acknowledged, you feel a twinge of displeasure, it's rooted in envy. If when a person is given opportunities for personal growth, education, or travel, you feel resentment, it is rooted in envy. If when another person shows the ability to do something well, you can't resist the temptation to snipe and criticize, it's rooted in envy. Envy is an insidious sin. In community life, it can be deadly, especially when it goes unconfessed and when there is no repentance for it. Like I talked about before, we were dead in our sin, and this is what it looked like. Titus 3.3, 3, it says, At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in, in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Now that we have been made alive, we're kingdom people. Paul tells us this. Let us now become conceited, provoking and envying each other. First Peter 2.1 says this. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. So how do we now counteract envy? Right? Like, like we got to see... Uh, the composition of envy, which is the, the comparison, desire, and bitterness. We got to see the consequences of how it actually makes you lose your character. It distorts who you are. And now we get to see, okay, how do we counteract envy? I think that in order for us to do that, we need to realign our eyes to have kingdom vision. A lot of the times, when our vision is blurry and we can't see our purpose, we can't see our role in God's kingdom, um, we begin to then allow envy to come into our hearts. And this is when we get to play the comparison, the desire, and the bitterness game. I want us to look at verse 1 and 5, or verse 1 through 5 of our story here, because I think that that's a good example of what it looks like to um, counteract envy. What does it look like when a person is not envious? It says this, as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to Saul's, or to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped him or stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servant. Are you able to see how different a person is when there is no envy contaminating the heart? We get to see how Saul responded to David. 
we get to see how Jonathan responded to David. Let me point, uh, let me point to you how Jonathan modeled that for us. He uh, makes a covenant with David. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him to give it to David. Jonathan uh, wanted to give David the honor that, had, that he had. If we think in that context, the, the clothing that Jonathan was wearing signified royalty. After all, he's the son of the king. Here we see that Jonathan wanted David to have that status, to, to be the same as Jonathan. We see that uh, Jonathan gives his armor to David, gives his sword in military terms. Like, like this means Jonathan was an expert in what he was doing in the military. He wanted to, David to have the same status as him, the same achievements as him. Jonathan took off, uh, actually, Jonathan uh, loved David as his own soul. This is, friends, this is a great example of what it looks like to not be consumed by envy. But I want to point you to a better Jonathan this morning. I love this this passage. I, I hope that you can see the connection between this passage and what is going on in the story and what we're talking about. Philippians 2, it says this, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy. How do we get to do this? That's the question. How do we get to do this? By being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I'm going to finish this passage because I love this. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now let's look at the better Jesus. Jesus has established a covenant with us. Just like Jonathan established a covenant with David, Jesus established a better covenant with us. Jesus stripped himself down of the glory that he had from eternity past. Jesus, on the cross, he set aside his robe for you and for me. He set aside his shield for you. He became vulnerable. He emptied himself and gave his life freely for you and for me. That is good news for us this morning, friends. That is the good news of the gospel. I know I've taken a lot of your time, so I want to I move uh, real quick here through the, last, um, through the conclusion here. Um, I just want to get really practical with you this morning. Um, I, I think that something good for us would be to consider this question, where may I be struggling with envy? 
And not only where am I struggling with envy, but um, what, what could be the, the antidote to my envy? I think that something really, really practical that we can start practicing for us is gratitude. I think that we um, underestimate the, the power of, of the, the practice of, I know that this might sound cheesy, but the practice of counting your blessings. Have you heard that before? Counting your blessings, to count your blessings. So, so instead of focusing on uh, your cup being half empty, the negative side, you can focus on like, well, my cup is half full, right? Like count your blessings. Uh, you, can, you, can, you can do, I started to do that this, this, this week as I was preparing. And, and man, I can, I can tell how it was uh, helping me to uh, focus or to, I guess, to examine, take a look at my heart and actually... Uh, began to identify the comparison in my heart, the desire that I had in my heart, and even the bitterness that I wasn't even aware that I was developing. So you could do this on the way to work. You can do this as you drive back, you know, uh, from work, as you go home. You could do it while you go for a walk or wash the dishes or even do, you know, clean the yard. You could do this. You can start practicing this. I just want to, this is the last thing that I'm going to say to you. Uh, We won't be able to overcome our sinfulness and our envy unless we fix our eyes on Jesus. We need to look at the better Jonathan. We need to look at Jesus because we recognize that although, yes, we have been made alive, we're part of the kingdom, we're still in the already and not yet. There is this tension within us, right? Paul addresses that for I do the things that I don't want to do, but the things that I do that I do want to do, I don't do, right? Like we live in this tension, so we recognize that we are weak. The good news is that Jesus meets us in our weakest moments. And he reminds us that he is our great high priest, the one who sympathizes with us. So just, just, let's, let's just wrap this up by this. We know that we have been made alive together with Christ. We know that the Holy Spirit is at work in us. And that means that we are now empowered to overcome our sin because the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is at work in us if we are in Christ. So we are equipped with everything that we need to wage war against envy and all of our sin. I want to I point this out. At the cross, this is what happened. At the cross, Jesus nailed our sin He dealt with it, with our past, with our present, with our future sin. He dealt with it. But it doesn't stop there. Because he rose again, this means that we are now equipped to overcome our sin. So for us, let's unroot envy from our hearts this morning and as we go on. And let us become people rooted in the gospel as we set our eyes on Jesus and live as ambassadors of his kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and your kindness. And we recognize that we can't do anything apart from you. We recognize that the gospel is not about our efforts. It's not about what we can do. It is all about what you have done in the person and work of Christ. So we pray that your spirit would continue to be with us and empower us to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel in the way that you have called us to be faithful ambassadors for your kingdom. We pray all of these things 
in Christ's name. Amen.